0: Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose
2: value. Welcome to
3: Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
3: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, starting this one off, I understand you want to call somebody out. You want to call out a, an individual by the name of J. Alfred Proofrock on something he said that doesn't exactly line up with science.
3: That's right. And um, my friend T to the S, Elliot, had this idea about the silent seas, right? I think we all do, right? We think about the ocean, the vastness of it just being this quiescent, Ocean of nothingness, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, sure, there are waves and storms on waves the surface. Crashing. But when you put your head underwater, suddenly all or most of these surface sounds just disappear.
3: Right, right. It's really nice and quiet. And I was thinking about that quote from the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. As you said, some of you may have heard it before. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. There's that silent part. Yeah, got to call you out. It turns out that there's kind of a disco going on underneath the water there.
1: I don't think Proof Rock's going to take this well because he's kind of a he's kind of a gloomy <laughs> dude. He's, he's kind right. of feeling down. He was uh, going to
3: take refuge in those silent seas. Yeah,
1: and you just took that away from him. So sorry. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, let's talk about these seas and what happens when we eavesdrop on the ocean.
1: Yeah, this episode is going to be all about sounds underwater, sounds under the sea, sounds in your swimming pool.
3: But not in your bathtub.
1: But not in your... Well, it could be in your bathtub. I guess, well, the bathtub is kind of a small environment for...
3: Yeah, I was making a fart joke. I apologize about that.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, you you know, we we don't throw them in there often. No, we don't.
3: uh, Use sparingly. All right, all right. Let's get back to the whole eavesdropping on the sea thing.
1: Yes. So, sound underwater. Yes, it does exist. If anyone out there was not sure on this, sound does travel through water. In fact, it travels four times as fast. Mm -hmm. Where we get this weird idea of it, of course, is that as humans, we have evolved, for the most part, to live on the surface. We have evolved to hear on the surface. So when we put our head under water and water fills our ear Mm canals. It cuts down on our ability to hear and the way that the vibrations are actually picked up by our inner ear. We end up having to hear, for the most part, with bone connectivity hearing. It means we're actually hearing with the bones in our skull rather than with the inner ear itself.
3: So it's a muffled sound to us, right? It's not really representative of what's going on.
1: Yeah, because even bone connectivity hearing is 40% less effective than air conductivity hearing for humans. So, yeah, we're often going to hear something kind of muddy. There are going to be ranges that we're not going to even be able to pick up on at all, or we're not going to hear them as clearly as we would hear them on the surface.
3: Though if we were a dolphin or a whale, we would have echolocation on our side, and we'd be able to hear much differently. In fact, sonar and radar systems are based on this idea of echolocation, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But certainly during the Cold War, this idea of echolocation and sonar was employed and the u.s navy set up a series of massive arrays of hydrophones planted on the ocean floor to detect submarine sounds now that data was transmitted to shore stations where the sounds were analyzed to direct a ship or an aircraft to the site and it was a way to listen in on soviet submarines
1: right because again sound travels really far underwater Mm so submarines even when they're trying to run silent, there's a lot of machinery in there. There's a lot of noise to be made.
3: Yeah, yeah, apparently. If we could
1: pick up on that with some microphones, we could conceivably know what the enemy is doing.
3: Yeah, and apparently there is a phenomenon known as the deep sound channel, and that's an ocean layer where low-frequency sound waves that enter the channel can become trapped and bounce around in this layer for thousands of miles. So this allowed the Navy to detect even relatively weak sounds from hundreds of miles away.
1: But then they began to pick up on things that were clearly not submarines, it right. seemed organic, but based on the sounds that they were picking up, they seemed enormous—like something larger than any known sea creature.
3: Yeah, and we should note that um, you know, after the Cold War ended, that they were like, "Okay, what are we going to do with all these hydrophones?" And they yeah. began to just sort of listen to everything.
1: They just um, turned it into open mic night. They're like, "All right, all right, ocean, <laughs> what have you got? If you're a squid with some uh, some sort yeah. of slam style poetry, step uh-huh. up. We'll, we'll hear it. Got some stand up comedy? Whale uh-huh. shark." Bring it, whale bring, shark. You the got,
3: yeah, born to run. Here you go. Yeah, watch the monitor sing it. But no, I mean they—they they, it was sort of like open mic night. I like that analogy. Um, they were gathering data on earthquakes, tremors, ships, whales, and unidentified sounds. Yes. And this is where it gets really interesting.
1: The granddaddy of all these, of course, is the bloop sound. And we have an article on this on How Stuff Works. If you'll go to the How Stuff Works webpage and you type in "bloop" into the search bar, mm-hmm. you will find this article, and there will be. A, an in-depth discussion, but there's nothing like hearing it, so I suppose we should we should actually play the bloop.
3: Well, I I think we should save the bloop.
1: You save the bloop? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right, right. And the
3: reason why I'm not trying to, withhold you know... The uh, withhold the bloop? Withhold the bloop. We're going to withhold the bloop for you because I want to tell everybody that, that just a little bit about... Ocean sounds and how researchers identify them. I mean, for the most part, it's really not very hard to identify them because you have whales that have very low frequency, and you can record those, and they have sort of a sound print. Yeah, Same thing and with- if
1: you've heard sounds of whale songs, nothing else sounds quite like it.
3: Right. I mean, that's actually kind of the New Age call anyway, right? I mean, I'm sure have someone has heard the whale call in a song before. Oh, yeah. Right. It's something that, again, Shows very easy on a to identify.
1: tool Does it?
3: Doesn't. Okay. Yeah. You got your tool reference in. So other markers, sound prints are volcanic activity and iceberg movement. But there are these sounds that defy explanation, and they remain a mystery as to whether they are man-made or from some mysterious creature. Okay, so we talked about the bloop. We will talk about the bloop. There's something called the upsweep. And this is a sound that is seated somewhere deep in the South Pacific near Antarctica. It's one of the few mystery sounds that repeats itself in the spring and the fall. And it's thought that it's due to an unusual acoustic phenomenon linked to volcanic activity in this region, perhaps the result of seawater and volcanic gas interacting and creating a resonance pattern. Okay. okay. So there's this idea that there's an underlying cause for that. So let's listen to that, actually, for a second.
1: Okay. What does this, this sound is like?
3: This is the up This is the up That's mysterious, right? Yeah. All right. Now there's something called the train. And again, there's a theory behind this that says moving fluids generate vibrations in the ocean, right? Just like blowing air through a clarinet. That's why we get this train sound. So if you have moving ocean water in the right conditions coming around, a seamount or some other thing, that could generate sound.
1: Okay. Uh, So go into this one thinking clarinet. Or train. Okay. Or train.
0: Okay,
3: and here's a third one. It's Whistle, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And it was picked up by a single hydrophone located about 1,700 miles west of Costa Rica. And again, no explanation here. And the full clip is something like a minute long, but here's a nice little sample for you.
1: All right, well, that one was pretty mysterious as well. Okay, so let's talk about this bloop. The bloop is the best one of all. Because it's not playing around trying to sound like a train or a whistle or a clarinet or anything of that sort. There's just a deep, resonating tone here that makes you think of dark and secret things beneath the sea.
3: I like that. And people do think of dark and and secret things. I mean, bloop
1: itself. I mean, just referring to it as the bloop. It sounds like something that would emanate from some vast, amorphous horror at the bottom of the sea.
3: The Kraken.
1: Yeah, the Kraken. Perhaps. Some people like to throw Cthulhu's name around.
3: Okay, well, that's because. Talk about Cthulhu for a second. Cthulhu. Okay,
1: well, Cthulhu is one of the gods from H.P. Lovecraft's mythos. All these various deities, such as Azazoth and Arlethotep, both of which, in my opinion, are much better. Because I think Cthulhu's a little played out in the public spectrum. He's kind of the Tesla of the Lovecraftian gods, but... But he's uh, a
3: giant sea creature... Well, octopus, yeah, a giant octopus-like
1: creature with wings. I mean, he's awesome, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Prominently featured in the short story The Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. where there's a cult that is really concerned with the fact that at the deep the bottom of the sea, you have this elder creature, this vast power that's slumbering and will one day wake and bring all this terror and horror to the world. Interestingly enough, if you're a fan of the George R. R. Martin books or TV show Game of Thrones, the Vikings in that the Viking-like characters, the Greyjoys. Their sigil is the Kraken, and there's a lot of Lovecraftian, Cthulhu-esque aspects of their story.
3: Okay, so now you know. This is this mythos of Cthulhu. Yeah.
1: If you want more, Jonathan Strickland wrote a really cool article about it, and you can go to HowStuffWorks, Mm -hmm. type Cthulhu, into the bar or just type Lovecraft into the search bar and you'll find that article
3: yeah it really is a great article so this bloop sound it was recorded in 1997 and originated from a point about 1500 miles west of the southern Chilean coast and it was powerful enough to be picked up on sensors located up to 3000 miles away making it one of the most powerful noises ever to be recorded underwater. And the sound lasted for just over a minute, has never repeated itself, and the NOAA has checked with the Navy and other groups to rule out human-made sounds, or sources, I should say, Mm -hmm. in this, and the rest of the other cases, too, that we talked about. So what is this bloop sound? Let's take a quick listen, and then we'll talk about what it could be or could not be. Okay, so ice calving has been thrown around as a possible explanation. Okay. Because it is in a southerly location, and that does kind of make it decently possible. But the profile of the sound is much closer to that of an animal. And so that's what gets people's minds really going. Because if it was made by an animal, then it must be larger than any other known organism in the sea, right? Even the blue whale, whose record length is about 110 feet, would not be nearly big enough to account for that sound that was made by the bloop. But there's no evidence to support the existence of what we call a super giant whale, right? Because if it were a whale, it would have to come to the surface. Eventually, it would be spotted.
1: Right. It would have to be something that resided underwater for long periods of time.
3: The other possibility is a massive squid. Again, yeah, here comes yeah. this Cthulhu idea. But squids don't have the organs necessary to create loud noises like whales do. That kind of kicks that idea out of there. But ultimately, we just don't know what causes these sounds. But that's... Less that it's like some sort of mysterious sea creature, which it could be, and more that we don't quite have the data, right? I mean, the Pacific Ocean is vast.
1: So what I'm getting is that less likely that it's Cthulhu or a Kraken, more likely that it's Godzilla. Because remember, Godzilla emerged from the deep. Yes. Yeah.
3: That was exactly what I was saying. You were picking up what I'm putting down. Okay. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about an underwater performance artist that makes Lady Gaga
0: look like milk toast.
1: Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
4: There's joy in every journey.
1: All right, we're back. I recently was assigned an article for HowStuffWorks.com titled How Underwater Sound Systems Work. Mm -hmm. We write a lot of articles here at HowStuffWorks. And you go into it knowing that not every article is going to be your favorite. And sometimes you have to find what's fascinating about a topic Mm -hmm. and bring it out. Sometimes you have to sort of create something fascinating about a topic and use that as the jam to go with the medicine, you know?
3: What you're saying is that you use some magic here.
1: No, no, no. Actually, this was a topic where I was expecting to have to use some magic. Okay. But instead, the more I looked into it, the more Fascinating the science was because I really had to look at how to sound travel through the water versus mm-hmm. traveling through the air how do we perceive sound on the surface versus underwater and getting into issues of bone connectivity hearing mm-hmm. and then also got into the not only the technology of it the technology of creating a speaker that works underwater and a speaker right. system that works underwater but also the sort of subculture Uh, Of listening to music (laughs) underwater, which I have not tried it myself yet, but I'm convinced from what I've seen that listening to music underwater, especially music that has been created for submarine listening purposes, is kind of addictive. It's kind of like once you've used a really awesome pair of headphones, you can't go back to the cheap ones. Mm -hmm. I think to some people, listening while completely submerged in a swimming pool, like that is their killer headphone. That is the preferred method, the ultimate method of listening to music.
3: I can understand that, right? Because that would be a mind-blowing way for your brain to perceive something that it already delights in. Okay, so before we start talking about underwater performance artists, let's talk about underwater acoustic systems.
1: Yes, there are a number of things to take into account when you're talking about an underwater sound system. I mean, the big one's going to be price. You're going to pay more for a sound system. Generally, for a typical system that you could actually go out and buy and and have within the week, you're spending between $300 and $2,000 on it.
3: And this is something you're going to put in your pool, right?
1: Yeah, well, there there are basically two uses for an underwater sound system. Mm -hmm. One is, I want music in my pool. And you're probably thinking thinking, well, that's great. I guess music in my pool would be great. Maybe if I'm swimming a lot of laps or something, or I just have money to burn. But actually, one of the areas you see this used a lot, synchronized swimming. Yep. Because synchronized swimmers, it sounds obvious now that we bring it out in the open, they have to hear the music that they are performing to. And so they need to be able to hear it underwater as well as above the water. So they need speakers that operate underwater. Also, sometimes with diving, you will uh, see this on the bottom of dive boats. Mm -hmm. They'll have a speaker system. If you need an alarm to sound, so that everyone knows they need to get back to the surface, Okay, you would have an acoustic system set up to send out that signal. There are also cases where you'll have music piped down into underwater environments for people that are diving. Okay. When it comes to designing such a speaker, on one hand, you need a speaker that can actually go into the water without dissolving. It doesn't have any cardboard parts, it's not going to short out, speaker wires aren't raw and naked in the water, that kind of thing. But then also, they have to take into account the way that sound actually moves around down there. One of the things that was really fascinating is when you have a speaker in a swimming pool, for instance, I mean, the sound waves are bouncing off of everything. They're bouncing off the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. They're bouncing off the bottom of the pool. They're bouncing off the walls. And sound is traveling so fast that you can't really tell, like, where it's coming from. It ends up coming at you from all directions, which is especially interesting when you consider that stereophonic hearing, stereo sound, is not possible for humans underwater. Okay. Because not only is the sound traveling so fast, Mm -hmm. but we're hearing with our skull bones. We're using Mm -hmm. the bone connectivity hearing rather than our our actual acoustic hearing. So we're not getting, like, this ear and this ear. We're getting full skull sound. Which is an
3: entirely different sensation and way to perceive it right
1: yes in fact i've heard it described as omniphonic sound as opposed to stereophonic or monophonic sound so i don't think that's a technical terminology but that actually comes from stanford university music researcher john a Muir the uh, fourth
3: all right so let's say that you are that person who has had the experience of listening to music underwater and you are forever changed by this experience What do we expect here?
1: Well, uh, this is the area that I found perhaps the most amazing. For starters, if you go down to uh, Florida's Low Key Reef, every year they have something called the Underwater Music Festival, in which they have boat-mounted speaker systems, cranking tunes for hundreds of divers and snorkelers. They actually dub it an underwater concert. I
3: was going to say, it's like an underwater rave?
1: Kind of, except they're playing a lot of, like, Yellow Submarine. I get the impression that it's a lot of, like, old classics rock or snorkelers. Okay. So that's one level. But where it really starts getting fascinating, I did a, probably too much research on this dude, there's a French composer by the name of Michael Rodolfi. And this guy... Is amazing. His music, not even looking at the underwater aspects of it, I guess you would say he tends to focus on sort of a new age ambient electronic sound, Mm -hmm. which in and of itself I'm totally into that. But from early on, like back beginning with his 1983 album Sonic Waters, he really got into the use of not only recorded sounds mm-hmm. that he recorded with uh, hydrophones. Hydrophones.
3: So uh, these are sounds in the ocean or, yeah, yeah. or in a swimming pool or something. Yeah,
1: he's, he's interested in just the sound of sort of the bubbly sound of an underwater environment. Okay. He's interested in the sound of sea life, the sound of an ocean environment. And so he's using those in his music. But then he's also crafting music that he intends for an audience to hear while their head is submerged in water. He keeps coming back to this. It wasn't like a one-off thing where he's like, oh, yeah, I did that uh, Sonic Underwater album. No, it's like his career... Has uh, I mean, he's done some other stuff as well, but mm-hmm. but his career has been defined by his interest in underwater sound. Not only these recordings that use a mix of electronic and ocean noises, but he's also explored the area of underwater opera. Uh, one production involved encasing the piece of soprano singer inside this giant plastic bubble and, and having them float around in this pool.
3: So my question is, if you are a concert goer, are you submerged in the water and listening underwater, or... Are you listening to the water that's submerged and then piped out?
1: Both, really. I mean, because okay. some of these recordings that he's done, ideally you were underwater listening to a piece of music that he has composed using recordings of underwater sound mm-hmm. for an underwater listener. Okay. Yeah. I'm, let's let's, let's uh, just take a listen here. Okay, so that was Gate of Mystery from the Michael Rodolfi album Underwater Music. And you can find that on Amazon, by the way, and download the entire thing in case you're interested to hear more. His stuff ranges from tracks like that, Mm -hmm. which I actually really dig. that has a nice electronic ambient kind of sound to it. And then some of his other stuff is a little more operatic, and you'll find some of those tracks on that album as well.
3: I heard Sea Dwelling, too. Uh, That's a sample that you sent me, and I really enjoyed that. But I really want to talk about a performance artist named juliana snapper because the clip that you sent me on youtube i was visually absolutely blown away (laughs) i have to say because that this is the artist who makes lady gaga look like she's just phoning it in how would you even describe the dress that she wore to submerge herself in the pool
1: kind of like a, a sea cloud I guess.
3: Okay. A netted sea cloud. Like, ah, okay, if you were queen of the mermaids and you were about to be betrothed to Poseidon, perhaps. I mean, it's (laughs) just giant pieces of material floating out. And I'm not doing it justice, so you guys should definitely look this up. I will
1: will definitely include uh, a clip of this uh, on the blog post that accompanies this podcast.
3: Yeah. She uses a mouth-to-water technique when she sings in the water she spent a lot of hours submerged in her bathtub and, yeah. and in friends pools.
1: tubs and stuff and, and and also apparently did a lot of research into the acoustics of underwater sound mm-hmm. but yeah i mean this is again is something that as we're discussing it, it sounds kind of crazy. It sounds avant-garde. And, and, and,
3: and it is. And it
1: is. But I also have a feeling that it's really tied to this idea that once you start yeah. experiencing underwater sound and exploring it, you're hooked. And then you start doing these things that, and, and engaging in these artistic endeavors that to an outsider might seem a little nutty. Yeah. But you've got to stick your head underwater.
3: But it's beautiful. This is the thing. Like, you know, when you, you see, we were talking about this in art, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
3: how something strikes you or takes your breath away. It's usually because somehow you have taken these themes of life, love, uh, all these things that we experience, and you've made them new again. Yeah. You've recast it into some other language that is recognizable but not quite recognizable and that's really exciting and i think that's what's going on here
1: some people would describe it as sticking an opera in a swimming pool but (laughs) but, but I, i like your description better well let's hear a quick clip from this okay this clip is from the 2009 opera you who will emerge from the flood the voice that you're hearing in this is actually the underwater mouth to water singing that we were discussing earlier
3: Okay, so imagine her and her, her giant about to be betrothed to Poseidon dress, making mm-hmm. these crazy bumblebee noises underwater. underwater.
1: Yeah, while other people are gadding about, floating about. It's really a crazy scene. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, art should stir you and, and get some sort of a, a visual reaction out of you. Today's
0: episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision?
4: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com.
3: I'll tell you what I got hooked on, and that's the other performance artist that you sent me, Claudia Hare.
1: Oh, yes. This is the German production from just this last year, 2011, I believe.
3: Yeah, and I believe the underwater opera is called Aqua Aria Pellehuea. Alright, so anyway, I slaughtered that. She is a German swimmer turned opera singer.
1: Which is, that's perfect. You know? <laughs>
3: yeah, there you go. Using all of her skills. And it is a combination of opera, underwater musical performance, and synchronized swimming. Love about this is that it's it's much more simplistic in terms of the sort of eye candy that's present. Here. Yes,
1: it's very German. The pictures of it I've seen.
3: Yeah, I mean she's in a wetsuit and she's singing outside of the pool, mm-hmm. and below in the pool is someone who is playing what looks to be like metal garbage can tops, some sort of percussive instruments. So you can hear those instruments being played underwater, and then she's just a beautiful mezzo soprano voice. Mm-hmm. And then she's walking and submerging herself and going underwater and still singing. And so all of a sudden you can hear the quality of that beautiful voice still coming through, but in this very eerie, muffled way. That's what got me to be like, you know what? I'm totally in on this underground, <laughs> underwater music scene. And there's
1: underwater percussion going on the whole time.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I should also point out that our friend Michael Rodolfi, that we mentioned earlier, over the years he's invented and co-created various instruments designed for underwater use. Generally, percussion instruments, things that look kind of like xylophones that you play underwater. Uh, and he's also engaged in the design of underwater electronic equipment because if you're yeah. doing an uh, underwater performance, that brings a lot of design problems with it that you wouldn't encounter uh, on the surface.
3: Well, I think it also shows the level of obsession here, too, yeah. right? That you're creating new instruments.
1: Yeah, to it's not try just something that you're. Exploring one weekend, like oh, I wonder what happened if I stuck an opera in a pool, or right. or oh, what what happens if I I'm not really happy with this track? What if I played it underwater? No, it's not an offhand thing. They're really passionate about it, and they're yeah. spending a lot of time with it.
3: It's very cool stuff.
1: So there you have it. This podcast we hope, was kind of a introduction and an exploration of not only the natural sounds and the way it sounds naturally travel underwater, both what we know about it and some of the mysteries, but also how we. Uh, Have exploited the way that sound travels underwater, and at least we've begun to appreciate it in a new and artistic way.
3: Yeah, and I can't help but seeing this sort of technology being used at like high end resorts one day.
1: Well, you do encounter underwater speaker systems at a lot of really posh spa and swimming pool environments.
3: Yeah, I was just imagining like, okay, here you are in the Caribbean coast, and you know, I'm thinking Necker Island from our friend Branson, right? Yeah. Maybe he's got the system. You take a little swim out there, and you have, you know, whatever. Sort of ambient music playing for your pleasure?
1: Well, I couldn't help but think of our friend Lily, the uh, dolphin researcher.
3: Oh, yeah, John C. Lily.
1: Yeah, because he was really into, well, taking a lot of LSD LSD. and then getting in his isolation booth, which sometimes are, am I I mistaken on that, often includes water? I'm probably thinking of altered states, but that was, I think there was water in in that one. Yeah, they tend to involve water. I don't know.
3: I'm going to say I don't know on that one. Okay.
1: I'm pretty sure that you can get an isolation chamber that contains water. And so all the better to have it wired for sound. Right. right? If
3: someone there has one, let us know. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I have to say too, that's probably going to enhance his experience or would have enhanced his experience. But but
1: I like the, the mention of Branson, because I can easily imagine him sliding naked into his oh. his music tube. Like Luke Skywalker in the Batha tank. Uh, in, okay, uh, so are
3: you imagining some sort of underwater tube that connects to his home that he can just slide into out into the ocean?
1: Well, that's good too. I, I mean, was thinking like a like a, a vat like acrylic. you could see again. through yeah. it.
3: He could swim with the sharks right past them because he's got this vast network of tubes. Yeah, acrylic tubes, Pipe, or like a big, piping ha- a big and hamster in.
1: ball, maybe like a big hamster ball yeah. full of water. He's wearing a snorkel mask. Nothing else. Listening to music as he rolls around his I
3: totally, I totally see that. I totally yeah. see him being like, you know what? I'm, I'm so stressed about not getting into this asteroid mining thing. I'm going to go take a swim out in my tube ocean.
1: All right. Well, let's look at some quick listener mail. What do you say?
3: Arnie, bring the mail, please.
1: This is from a listener by the name of Patrick. Patrick writes in and says, I recently heard your podcast on Google Goggles and found your commentary on futuristic contact lenses a little well too negative. For instance, you say, and I'm paraphrasing here, that should these contact microcomputers indeed come to exist, we will, as a society, become essentially dumber. The point at first seems valid. For if uh, we had a computer with us, we would not need to remember anything. Birthdays, important dates for history classes, or even what the exact name of that flesh-eating bacteria currently consuming your arm is. And this would seemingly be a problem. However, in my humble opinion, remembering these things is somewhat arbitrary. What does it matter if you can't remember how to spell a particular word? If you can correctly correlate the word you're thinking of to the idea it represents, then you should be okay. I feel that if these microcomputers do one day come to fruition, that it will free the human mind from the clasps of memorization and promote a far more important cranial attribute, critical thinking, something that is seriously lacking in much of the population, including college graduates. And with that, I step off my stump. I love your show. It keeps my brain from oozing out my ears while pulling weeds. Huh. Okay, that's intriguing. He raises an uh, interesting point there. I mean, perhaps by freeing us from the need to memorize all these facts, like our anniversary or our loved ones' names or faces, it allows us to, uh, to, you know, to really critically, and I'm, I'm having some fun there, but, uh, but, but no, I think he has a valid point, a counterpoint to some of the ideas that we were presenting.
3: Or does it just leave more room for useless facts, like, you know, things that I know about Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt that I don't even know how I know, but I know them. Yeah. Right? in some sort of passive way that information has flowed through and remains in the nets of my memory Mm -hmm. whereas important things don't so much
1: yeah you know and that's what we're kind of afraid of But but who knows? And the idea is to what extent we can actually manage it as we're bombarded with this technology. So we'll see. Let me see if I have another bit of listener mail here in the bundle. Here's one from Donnie in Arizona. Donnie writes in and says, Hey guys, just finished listening to your Lucid Dreams episode and wanted to add to it. I've been interested in lucid dreaming for years now and have on numerous occasions lucid dreamed myself. You mentioned briefly various medicines that could affect dreams, but failed to touch on one in particular. Kalea zaktakichi, pardon if spelling is incorrect on that, and likewise, pardon if my pronunciation is incorrect Bless you. That, is an herbal supplement used by shamans to introduce lucid and or prophetic dreams, commonly intended to help find answers that may be plaguing an individual or their tribe. It is often smoked in a cigarette... With equal parts, kalea and tobacco. In fact, lucid dreaming in general seems to be very common in shamanistic ritual practices around the world. Love the show. Thanks, Donnie.
3: Actually, this reminded me of a book called Rational Mysticism. It's centered around trying to dwell deeper into the mind. And mm-hmm. the writer actually takes ayakusa. I know I have to slaughtered that, but that's the same thing. It's it's uh, Ayahuasca? Is, is that, a- that it? it? starts with an A.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I, I, I may have heard it mispronounced as well, but
3: well, yeah, I'll go with yours. Because
1: uh, I always know it sounds kind of like Hiawatha, Native American from the um, children's story. Anyway.
3: (laughs) All right. So, yes. Anyway, it aids in uh, shamanistic rituals. That is very interesting. It's a good point that you make about lucid dreaming. Yeah, the dream
1: world has always played an important role in our formation of spiritual ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, if you have anything you would like to add, be it about lucid dreaming, the future of technology, uh, or especially about underwater sounds... What do you think the bloop is? Let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Also, underwater music. We highlighted a few possibilities there for listening underwater, but I'm sure we missed something. So if you have heard some music or you're familiar with some music that either incorporates underwater sounds or is intended to be listened to to underwater, let us know about it. We'd love to hear about it, and we'd love to share it with the rest of the listeners.
3: And if you have solved the riddle of the bloop, send us an email about it, and you can do so at at blowthemindatdiscovery.com.
1: What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
0: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.